Alright, where are we? Full on Civil War? 14? I think so. Israel and Judah go at it. One last time. <laughs> and I was just surprised how much um, Judah just kept on taking out their coffers. And I was worried they were going to run out, and apparently they do, because later on they start trip- stripping the um, the temple for stuff. Yeah, yeah, that definitely felt like a desperation move. Yeah, they pull the gold off the doors. and They take the oxen out from under the sea. That's, like, as bad as, say, quantitative easing in terms of <laughs> attempts to just... Are we to the part where Israel ceases to exist yet? Because we got to cover that tonight. That's important. Oh, yeah, it's really soon. I was going to say, um, Jeroboam II, his 41-year rule, is given in a whole seven verses in chapter 14. I think there was other, I think, what was it, Ahab, who was really important, or Omri. There's people who are really important on the in the regional scene, they get barely a mention, just because... Well, because, is it not written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Of oh, yeah. We yeah. Should, yeah, we can check there if we need to learn more. If we ever find where those are buried? Sure. We never talked about that, did we? No, no it, I think that it's, it's easy to assume that they mean the Book of Chronicles, but I'm pretty sure they don't. No, no, because there's different ones. There's <clears throat> Chronicles of Solomon, Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, and Kings of Judah. Yeah. And it's kind of written like, you know, you're assumed to be uh, um, literate. <laughs> yeah, who'd have these on file. I mean, who was this written for? Was this written for the average Joe? Joe Shemesh. The average Jehoash. I mean, this isn't a book by and for the people. This is like propaganda. Hmm. I would agree, but when Edward hears it, he's going to write a big... (laughs) How do you know? Because it could, maybe, history works different when it's in the Bible and everyone has a verbatim memory and can recite conversations that happen. Yes, yes, the magical, mythical, verbatim memory. Uh, which has never been demonstrated anywhere. And it's yeah, no one brings that up. A hypothesis in want of any evidence, but whatever. <laughs> so, are we on 15? Yeah, I like I like the whole pregnant women getting ripped apart thing. That's some good imagery. <laughs> which is in 15, 14 through 16, for those following along at home. Hmm, right. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about some of these middling kings. Yeah, just a lot of... They usurp, things go bad, they're assholes. Yeah, they don't worship the Lord enthusiastically yeah, it, enough or exclusively repetitive. enough. Yeah, They yeah, make their kids also, pass through fire. Yeah, most of the Book of Kings can be summed up with they didn't worship the Lord Jehovah enough yeah. or I mean, they do all these enough. horrible things. But they're always forgiven for them unless it's worshipping Baal. And then it's like, oh my god. It's so morally just... Well, remember, the most important thing about religion is to pass on the religious memes. Everything else is incidental. Yeah. Well, that's my cynical atheist view of it, anyway. Well, you mean, yeah, that's why they that's why they last. That's why apostasy is a capital crime, but rape isn't. Oh, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. The most important thing about religion is to get people to believe it. It's, 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 it's just basic mimetic theory. You're just trying to pass on a set of ideas as strongly as you can. Yeah, for, that's why, what's the shakers? They won't reproduce, so they're all dying out? It's There's like gonna... two left. Do they, <laughs> they even exist anymore? I thought they already died out. Uh, well, last I looked at the story on NPR, there were two left, but I don't know how many are left now. <laughs> they They were like Quakers, but unlike Quakers, they didn't 
So there are none left. And there's... Then we gotta, we're like, wait, 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 guys. Yeah, the lesson no here is have unprotected sex and your cult will last a lot longer. <laughs> have a lot of concubines. That helps. That helps. So they just didn't have sex at all? Well, that was the theory. I'm, I'm sure they had some, kind of like a priest have some. But... <laughs> Gotcha. As of January 2011, there's only June Carpenter, Arnold Had, and Francis Carr left. Seriously? Yeah, that's it. Only three of them left. There's three? Yeah, I was wrong. There's three. I'm going to convert. Oh my god. That's hilarious. Yep. And unlike the, the um, uh, what, what are they called? The, um, not the Mennonites, but the Amish, who are growing exponentially. Because those guys know all about the unprotected sex. Alright, so where are we at? Um, <laughs> Jotham? Oh, wait, no, we got Israel ends. We've got to get Jotham? to where Israel yeah. ends. The death of Israel. The last king of Israel. Yay. They, where is that? 17, right, start of chapter 17. Assyria. Oh, okay. The new king's like, I ain't gonna pay you, why should I? And Assyria's like, I will squash you like a bug. And they do. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. Oh, yeah, Shalmaneser. Mm-hmm. And, and this all... guy's real. They have the Syrian records of this guy. Um, there's actually, there's this um, mural, or, you know, like a carving, relief carving, um, of him taking the city of Lachish. I thought that was Sennacherib. mentioned. Yeah. No, Sennacherib's later on. Oh, shit. Sennacherib yeah, comes that. against that Jerusalem good. much later, well, somewhat later, two chapters later in the book. Yeah, yeah, this one Hezekiah's king, right? What? Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's still a Syrian. Yes. He's just attacking Judah. Who are you talking about now? Oh, you're talking about Shennacherib. We're, okay, that's that's Judah. Let's later on. We're talking about Shalmaneser's yeah. king of Assyria, uh, who, who captures uh, all the, the northern ten tribes and deports them, I suppose, to, yeah. uh, to places where they become assimilated and are never seen or heard from again. Yeah, the last ten tribes. Wait, didn't they go to America? That's uh, in some stories, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got to say, I'm not the greatest at geography, but that's a long walk yeah. for a group to stay a group. Well, they're right by the Mediterranean. All they got to do is... Look, these guys, these guys had practice wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They know what it's like to do a long walk. Yeah, they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Wait, did they walk? Can they take boats? Well, it depends on if you're talking about the Mormon story or not. Do the Mormons think they took boats? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they could just... Oh. Wow. I totally thought they took, like, the land bridge or no, something. No, no, they got in boats. some theory about the... They That's got way boats too and sciencey. sailed to the Americas and settled the place. When did they think this happened? Go back to episode 61. I'll tell you all about it. Around, this is, like, the 7th century. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, dude. Holy sh- Dude, CJ went and read the whole Book of Mormon. You got it. Wow, I just <laughs> thought it was crazy. Okay, where were we? I think in Israel 17. just got exiled and destroyed. Israel. There's no more Israel, and then they reset all these guys in Samaria. But these guys don't know how to worship the Lord, so they get attacked by lions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do she bears. <laughs> so way, way cooler than bears. If, if only there were tigers in this book, we could do the entire trifecta: lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> Oh my! We we could interpret something as tigers, I'm sure. <laughs> Asian tigers. Asian tigers. 
Which is 1726, by the way. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. And then we get all sorts of new gods. But uh, we go Lots. we go back away from the strong monotheism, back into the idea of regional gods very strongly here in 1724. The idea that Yahweh presides over just this area of land. Because mm-hmm. these, these people resettle this area, and whereas before, they worship just as they did before, but now suddenly, you know, lions. So, <laughs> clearly, the Lord is more limited in scope uh, in, in regionally here than you might be led to expect by Genesis 1 and 2. Which seems to put him sort of globally. Yeah. Well, that's Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, that's that's so late. Oh, how do you know that? You can't know that. It's <laughs> it's a priestly source. It's post-exile. Oh, They've, you can't. Uh, you, source, you source deconstructors. You're just making stuff up. Maybe God told her. That's good. That's it's an all-purpose excuse. Well, I think yeah. Chapter seventeen is it's the Deuteronomist. Speaking of unproven source theory, it's it's the Deuteronomist's big um, conspiracy. Well, it's his big theory on why Israel bit the big one. Yeah, and he, he usually he puts this in the mouth of some famous figure, but right here it's just kind of editorialized, like. Hey, here's what happened. Maybe Judah shouldn't do this. Yeah, that's actually where Robert A. Heinlein learned his writing style, was from the Deuteronomist here. When in doubt, just resort to being preachy. Oh, where did I just read about that? wasn't on my blog. Complain made that exact same complaint. That's funny. He is one preachy mother. <laughs> like, some people will just tell the story. This guy will tell the story, and just as soon as you get hooked on the story, he'll be like, And I think blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, chapter 18. Hezekiah. <laughs> The best king in the universe. Woo, Hezekiah loves the he Lord. Built a ton of- He's from Judah. Oh, if I oh recall God, correctly. I gotta mention the snake thing, Nehushtan. This, oh, yes. Remember how yes. a long time ago in a different podcast, Paul, you said that that snake thing sounds awful like idolatry to you? Yeah. <laughs> in, in, uh, was it Numbers 21? Yeah. 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 It's, actually, it's written right here, Numbers 21. Yeah. Not in my KJV, it's not, but anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. So in Second Kings eighteen, at the very beginning, they you know they're they're doing these reforms back towards or forward towards a full, a more robustly monotheist uh, cultic practice, and they take well, down least... this bronze snake that Moses had made and said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna cut this down too because it's an idol now. Uh, I love that. So that's been in the temple the entire time. Oh, that's the that's the implication. Owen mentioned it. That this Nehushtan, this is. <laughs> Uh, brazen snake that was worshipped as you know having healing powers against snake bites at the least uh, is now an idol. Whereas back when Moses' day, it was just you know perfectly acceptable Yahvist practice. It was a bronze snake that healed people. Right. It could probably never been mentioned thanks to the final editors. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, eh, no, we need to cut that out. <laughs> it was just interesting that like, whereas other practices probably did get cut out entirely because this was specifically considered mosaic, it got left in. And then right. later on cut out as having been perverted into idolatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the first time we read it, we're like, that looks like an idol to us! You know? <laughs> and there we are, vindicated in Second Kings 18. Well, I mean, that's what they did. All the all the temple only, the temple theology is all late. They liked their idols. I think the stuff so, on his Ikea, I mean, it's kind of... He basically, like... He conquers Philistine. He takes everything back. I mean, he's... I don't really buy it. 
Well, especially since it comes so close to the actual fall of Judah. It seems yeah. like oddly closely placed to you know, Hezekiah does all these wonderful things and makes Judah just like it should be, and then, bam, it's all gone. <laughs> Very shortly thereafter. How convenient. Yeah. 13 verses in. <laughs> yeah, it's not a whole lot of verses. No. Yeah, but it's several kings later, though. Hezekiah, Manasseh, Em, and Josiah. I don't know. I don't know how that works. It doesn't seem to make sense to me that... It feels like it's a bit out of order. In fact, I'm pretty sure it is. Oh, well. The Bible hasn't made too much sense to me so far, so it's not going to start making sense now. (laughs) I'm really trying, Christians. I'm giving it my best college try. My best former kicked-out-of-seminary try. All right, so uh, there's a bit, pretty much the rest of 18, how do you say it, Sinatra attacks Judah. We get more of the... (laughs) Tribute paid. What? Abby's playing with the document. Oh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) We get more of the tribute paid and more of the temples. They strip it even further. Right, right. Of the valuables? Everything must go. Yeah, the gold door. Yeah, they're probably melting down the snuffers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why they don't have any gold relics. It's too valuable. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what happened to it. See? That's why there's no evidence of Solomon's temple. They sold it all and melted it down. Uh-huh. It got turned into ball to molten balls. Yeah, a hundred years from now there'll be no evidence of Donald Trump. Emeralds. <laughs> <laughs> it may even be less than that. <laughs> Final miracle. Quick. Okay. What is it, Abby? Um, he kills a whole bunch of Assyrians. Hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrians. Raid murder. And, okay, I've got to, I've got to mention here uh, for this. This is finally the kind of direct magic that Shelley was asking for a few episodes ago. Yep. Like, look, is God magic or not? Why does he always have to work through like <laughs> natural disasters and stuff? Can't he just like smite or whatever directly? <laughs> well, there it is. Finally, he gets down to. We smite. get it twice in Kings. We get we get Elisha moving people around and and doing his Jedi mind trick shit and <laughs> here. God's just flat out not dicking with them and killing them all. Yeah, that's just the sort of miracle that I would, I would expect from the kind of guy who can speak stars into existence. That's some good stuff. And may God smite me dead right now magically if he really exists. Still there? Uh, you go in there for Might a not second. be able to speak people out of existence, <laughs> but he can speak them out. Well, well matter could I mean, be or destroyed. He had his chance right there yeah. to, to prove, well, not to me, but to you guys. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> cool if we got it on tape. I mean, nothing against you, but... I would have to do an audible death battle right into the mic. <laughs> ah. The castle of... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, continuing Kings. Second Kings. Chapter 20. Right. You were on... That's about where we were. Figs for your boils, sir. Uh, I guess I would start with 20, verse 8, where we start getting shadows. Uh, something is going on there. Whether God is redirecting the sun or causing some optical illusions, definitely some shadows going the wrong way. Yeah, my notes say that... Um... They would sometimes use stairs, the shadow on the sun's shadow on stairs to tell time. Okay. And so it's basically like a clock 
going backwards, or like a sundial going backwards. Or a really strong wind pushing some clouds. I'm just huh? kidding. <laughs> I thought you were going to say <laughs> a really strong wind pushing the sun. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Which would make perfect sense, perhaps, in that time frame. It would have. Uh, with the modernity's harsh illumination, we might have trouble arguing that position. <laughs> Especially in this crowd. So yeah. he gets some figs and boils them, and it makes them all better, kind of? No, no, no. He has welts, and they put figs on them, isn't I it? See. Like figs for your boils? Oh, prepare a poultice of figs. And apply so it to so he boil. gets like another, like a bunch. little 15 years. Which is in, in chapter 20, verse 7, by the way. Yeah. For those of you following along at home, how would you like that? Like, oh, I get to live for the fifteen years. Okay, that's nice. Thanks. I guess. Boy, I know it makes me want to go out and get some figs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make sure you live for a fifteen years. Or a profit? Yeah, even like more. The more important part. Right. More importantly, a profit. I think you're right, Abby. All right. Throughout the rest of twenty and twenty-one. Manasseh immediately returns to other gods, which seems to be a trend in Israel's kings. Um, mm-hmm. or I guess I can't... Well, yeah. They like the other gods. Until... Hey. Go ahead. So in verse 12, when Marduk Baladan, he, he uh, sends letters and a gift to Hezekiah. Why does Hezekiah show him all his his silver and gold and fine oil, his armory? Why does he show him that stuff just because he sent him a letter? No, I, I guess I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But what, what's, what's that about? Is that some kind of thing you do? Like you walk into someone's house and they bring you something nice. And like, oh, yeah, I got this cool stuff back here. Your shit says I'm not really going to need this. I got all this my great notes, stuff already. My notes say that um, this guy, the guy was um, rebelling against Sennacherib at the same time as Hezekiah. So maybe they're trying to coordinate. Like, oh. here's what I got. What do you got? What uh what chapter was that? Uh twelve, twenty twelve. All right. Well, no, that's good because I wanted to say at the end of this little episode, they um they mentioned Babylon as being a threat. They're like, they're going to be made eunuchs in Babylon, um, which is anachronistic because Babylon doesn't really become that kind of power until six oh five BC. Hmm. And this is that couple centuries earlier. Yeah, and how does Hezekiah feel? Like, oh, thanks a lot, God. Uh, keep me alive from these boils, but you're going to make us enslaved to Babylon. And he says, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? This is so sad. That's so depressing. So, Josiah? He was a righteous dude. Yep. <laughs> he was badass in a heavenly sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he had a be- concept of heaven. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I, I think it's generally thought that most of the Deuteronomical histories were compiled during his reign. They're basically royal propaganda for Josiah. Are you saying the Book of the Law wasn't just found? Um, no, I'm saying that they made it up. <gasps> I, I think like, scandal. In 22.8, it totally says it was found. Yeah. <laughs> it says right there. <laughs> they were doing repairs on the temple, which they'd done some suspiciously similar 
repairs before in like chapter twelve, but I guess they did them again. Yeah. Oh. They have, um, maybe, and they have to find a yeah, it, book of the Lord. Maybe the, we, one of the workmen from the first repairs accidentally dropped it between a few rafters. <laughs> ah. And in the second repairs, they were like, oh shit, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You need to emphasize that these were honest general contractors, which is an unusual thing. <laughs> Sorry, Chaz, but it, it, does, it doesn't oh, yeah. do that in 22-7. Like, no, really, these contractors are honest. Like, I know that that's not what you're used to when you're getting your kitchen redone, but <laughs> no, really. Really, they were honest. Oh. I, I love that this problem has existed for so many millennia, trying to find yourself a good, honest general contractor. Anyways, Book of the Law. Are we into the Book of the Law yet? Yeah. This uh, overachieving eight-year-old becomes king. And you must tear your robes off or else you're not holy. You're not a good person. I like that. Like the person goes, well, I, I hear that you you uh, you rent yourself of your robes, so I know that you are good and you are great. <laughs> After you saw the book of law. That's how you know someone takes a book very seriously. Yes. I'm going right. to make that point the next book club. I'm going to tear my robes just to show people. <laughs> I really, I say, really like this book. They, I think... Judging from what I've read so far, it would probably be a rather profitable uh, occupation to be a tailor. And they, <laughs> they seem to do a lot of robe ripping in those yes. No, the tailors are honest. You don't have to account for the money entrusted to them. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the contractor. Sorry. In 23, they decide to read the book. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Notice they can read it all in one day, or they can read it all. They just they can read it all out in one sitting. Which, which so most people think that, um, like twenty three two. Mm-hmm. Most people think that the um the book of the law was the Deuteronomic law code, which is kind of like the nucleus around which the rest of Deuteronomy is written. Hmm. And it's the it embodies the main principles that the Deuteronomic historian uses to tie all the history together. It just happens to be found by Josiah. He just happens to totally agree with all his policies. Yeah, well that's very handy for Josiah then. I wonder um, if possibly Shaphan, son of Azaliah, had something to do with that. Well, he was an honest dude. Well, okay. I'm just saying, if I need... I will stand for your accusations. Uh, okay, Edward. <laughs> He's not some random Akkadian who's going to lie. <laughs> He's not one of those sons of Belial. <laughs> so, Hosiah, or Josiah, takes all the, um... Does, well, he basically does what Hezekiah does, except he does it... Well, it's not permanent this time either, but... Apparently, he... Takes down all the pagan idolatry. Right, yeah, he, he does a bunch of good stuff. He br- uh, brings the Passover back, or invents it. I don't would, know. You, would you argue that he invents the Passover? No, no, but okay. I mean, he could have. Or just made it a, a large. Because it's not like anything Moses did was real. So Josiah either invents some laws and conveniently finds them, or he finds some laws and rents his clothes due to the current state of things in Jerusalem. Which I guess is good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, really important 
um, information here, and when it's describing all the stuff he's tearing down, because a lot of it's kind of novel. We haven't heard it before. There's like a there's a chariot of the sun, and there's yeah. horses that honor the sun. Um, maybe that's why the sun went backwards. It was getting pulled by a horse on a chariot. <laughs> Ooh, good call. <laughs> I like the wind better, but. Yeah. <laughs> the chariots may be more plausible. Um, and I'm of the opinion, this is just kind of my gut feeling. I wouldn't, you know, stake my life on it, but I think 2325 is the original final verse of the first version of the um, Deuteronomical histories. Because it's generally thought, this is kind of complicated and weird, but it's generally thought that the histories were first written before, um, like, in the reign of Hosea. And then they were, there was a second edition after the exile. Where they were like, were like, oh no, we got destroyed. How do we make sense of this? So they rewrote parts of it and they added, like, the last couple chapters. Hmm. And it sounds kind of like, when I first heard it, I'm like, eh? But I think it makes sense. So you're saying that the the last verse, the closing verse of the original uh, narrative here was is closing out with how great Josiah was. Uh, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him, and he was fabulous. And then it just closes out. Yeah. And then like somebody was... tacks on as an addendum. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away. <laughs> yeah, and it makes up some excuse, and that's why we all died anyway. It does have a tacked on feel to it there. It's, it's it's a good, like, closure line in verse 25 mm-hmm. of chapter 23. Mm-hmm. And, like, and throughout, I mean, there's evidence both that it was written in the reign of Josiah and that it um, has stuff, like I said, it um, talks about Babylon in an anachronistic sense. And Babylon's who would eventually sack Judah. That's what you get for being skeptical about prophecy. It was just the Spirit of the Lord <laughs> seeing the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Thing. Rationalists. So then, um, after so after the the first ending, um, I don't know how to pronounce Jehoiakim. Hmm, that's a pretty good one. Well, I mean, I think it's a good pronunciation too. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, go with it. Um, Egypt, who hasn't really been on the stage much, comes up and takes over. Judah, or Annex is Judah, um, and they pay some tribute. Again, more tribute. It's a big thing back then. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time they were, like, self-ruled? They've been puppets and vassals for centuries. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and when they and when they weren't being puppets and vassals, they were going to civil war with each other, the northern tribes yeah. against the southern. Yeah. In an attempt to make one the vassal of the other. I can see now why they look back on David as this golden age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After that bit, uh, Nebuchadnezzar shows up, right? Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 24. I can pronounce that. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty familiar name. I saw The Matrix. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I can only <laughs> pronounce it because of The Matrix. So this is what Josiah gets for doing all the great things that the Lord wanted him to do, cleansing well, the land of spiritists. And... He was one generation too late. Right. 
If, right. if the guy before him had gotten on it, you know, we'd still Judah would still be ruling the world, but you know, one I generation two. sins of my father and all that yeah. shit. There's always an excuse, like, well, if things get badly, it's because the Lord was pissed. <laughs> and if the Lord wasn't pissed at you, then he was pissed at your predecessor. <laughs> and I mean, there's always there's always some reason, but when it comes down to it, if if things went well, it's because he made the Lord happy. If it was if Judah was already annexed by Egypt, Babylon. Or Nebuchadnezzar just kind of shows up and is like, hey, I really want this? And then Aunt Egypt doesn't care? Or what's the... I think Egypt I was um, went about... downhill and lost some power. Okay. Because yeah. I read that. I read the bit about Egypt and everything. And then immediately in the next chapter, it starts talking about Babylon and them coming and sieging. And I was actually like, I... wait... Egypt had it. What's I, I remember uh, this part from one of my seminary classes, and I think it is true that um, when the Babylonian Empire was on was waxing, the Egyptian Empire was waning at the same time. Hmm. Uh, but you know that whole yeah. that whole region was it was Israel was stuck between several empires: the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. And they were at this, you know, this crossroad, and basically Israel and Judah were always going to be, they were always going to be at the mercy of greater, stronger states on every side. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, say, Luxembourg. That's a bad example. Nobody wants Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> So Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem. Woohoo. <laughs> yep. Gets Nearing of, the end. Gets rid of all the king and everything. Mm. Yeah. Takes them off the Yeah, battle. he deports the king. He exiles all the officers in the armies. Yeah, so last right. time we saw Israel being deported into... We saw a few chapters ago Israel got carried off into, into captivity. And now we're seeing it happen to Judah. Uh, and for the usual reason, God's pissed. He's, te- he's yeah. teaching you a lesson. Again, so I think it's, they make um, Mataniah king. The Babylonians make Mataniah king, and they change his name to Zedekiah. And then Zedekiah rebels, and then Nebuchadnezzar sieges Jerusalem again, which I just find kind of weird. And he like does all this stuff again, but this time he just does it more and burns everything to the ground, including the temple. Siege is very unpleasant for the people being besieged. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're drinking your own piss, you're pretty desperate. <laughs> Obviously. No. I'm, I, I... It either took place on July 29th, 587, or August 16th, 586. Wow. That's, that's very specific. I know. The first one is a Thursday. I didn't look up August 16th. Wh- where did those come from? Um, Just from out of curiosity. various sources I found. One book said one, another book said the other. I guess they can date it from other stuff. Because, I mean, by this time, the Assyrian, the Assyrian records and stuff, Babylonian records. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. There's lots of co-referencing. So, yeah, the second siege, they take dethrone Zedekiah, correct? And then mm-hmm. uh, deport some more people and burn a bunch of crap. And then, is it Jerohoakim? Is that who's the... Jerohoakim. Yeah, Jerohoakim. Yeah, uh, becomes... The other king. Right. And he gets deported. <laughs> no, he was the first one deported. 
Was he? And Zedekiah is the second one. Okay. Mataniah is the second. Mataniah, whose name is changed to Zedekiah. Oh, right. Yeah, they had to kill his sons in front of him first. And his eyes are put out. Right. And he's taken to Babylon. Being taken to Babylon has uh, has become symbolic for a, a number of things nowadays. What? <laughs> <laughs> I hear that all the time. Just like you guys that. don't listen to the reggae music, huh? <laughs> no, never mind. If you listen to what reggae, you know what the hell I'm talking about. Never mind. <laughs> Medicia. They're always talking so about Babylon Jewish and Zion are both very much reoccurring themes in reggae music. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. I would Thank definitely you. agree with that. God. In one reggae guy, right? What the hell I'm talking about? No, in in one all, reggae no, guy. like in all reggae music. Really? It's like part of their uh, their patois. It's like part of their whole language and religion and stuff. Yeah. Mm. I know, like the line of Judah is there on their flag. Yeah, it's like, like Zion is like what they hope for to be like to to go back to their ancestral homeland, and Babylon is is the the decadent Western world in which they live. Anyway, yeah, I would just. <laughs> I'm just trying to point out that the that the idea of a Babylonian exile has um has cultural echoes which go well beyond the Jewish diaspora. But we can learn from reading the Bible about its historical origins. Quasi quasi historical, yes. <laughs> I mean the parts we're getting are, you know. So does that sum up kings? I hope so. <laughs> We can get to the joyous book that is First Chronicles. <laughs> so, you guys have anything verse else? Verse by verse. Have anything else on on the the books of the kings? First and Second Samuel, First and Second uh, Kings. Last chance. Well, I have my corrections. Uh oh. Yeah, let's hear that. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. In the last po- the First Kings podcast, I was listening to it, uh-huh. and I was talking about um the pharaoh Shishak of Egypt where he ran into um, Palestine, did some raids and destroyed a bunch of cities mm-hmm. and I claimed that this happened in the year 625 oh. I said this a couple of times hmm. and you know, 625 is a good 100 years after Israel fell oh. and it actually happened in 925 well I assume that's what you meant that's, yeah yeah <laughs> I figured it was sort of a, a, a vertical, uh, what's that called when you get letters back and forth, you get them mixed up? Oh, yeah. Well, I think I just 625 was stuck in my mind because that's what Deuteronomy around when Hosea and stuff. But then, to make it worse, then someone started talking about um, the Assyrian king, Senator, no, Shal- Shalmaneser, Shalmanezar. Um, was it anyone here? Uh, wasn't me. I can't pronounce that name. <laughs> well, someone was talking about Shalmanazar, and I thought they were talking about Sennacherib. And so I said some stuff about how in his records he talks about the king of Judah being pulled up like a bird in a cage. So I was talking about the wrong dude. So. Well, we stand corrected. Okay. Fair enough. Let no one say that this is an inaccurate drunken Bible study. Right. It's only half. It's of those very things. accurate. We're very drunk. Wait. <laughs> All right. 
It's, it's a highly accurate, highly drunk Bible study. <laughs> well, it's accurate because we are actually studying the Bible and maybe drunk. It's precise, on... but it's not accurate. <laughs> I'm not sure how precise or accurate you can get when you're dealing with sources like these. Oh, sh- not that I mean to be cynical about it or anything, but mm-hmm. I can't really tell where the myths leave off and the history starts. And I've been trying to tell. Well, you, you have to look outside the Bible to tell, really. I read your blog. Isn't that enough? <laughs> <laughs> the Oklahoma Atheists Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. Jared's music in the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection, available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheist.com.